0: Good morning. It was good to be together this morning. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the word or what comes to mind when you hear the word curse, to be cursed. Growing up in near Kansas City, I was a Chiefs fan, and we were convinced that our fan base, of all fan bases, was cursed. This idea that if something could break bad, could go poorly, it would go poorly. Our team was cursed, and I thought we were alone, and then the Lord called us here to live in, in Texas, and I met so many great A&M fans and Cowboy fans who also are convinced that they are cursed. Uh, it's amazing. It's, I think every fan base thinks in some way their team is cursed. It's a word that we use quite often that my hope for us this morning, when we hear that word, it doesn't bring a baggage into this text. Every one of us, part of being good interpreters of Scripture is to understand that language Carries its own unique baggage for every single one of us. The word curse is one of those words of baggage. Perhaps you think of a science fiction movie of somebody put a curse on someone else. Our text this morning, that is Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14, deals very strongly with this understanding of the curse of God that rests upon anyone that undertakes the law of God to be made. Righteous before him. Every agreement, every agreement has with it blessings and curses, areas of your life that will benefit you and consequences that will happen if you do not keep them. God gave to Israel the law, and the law brought with it a curse if it was not followed. And the curse of God is to be understood as the judgment, the righteous and just judgment judgment of God that will abide on anyone who tries to keep the law to be made right with him because none of us in this room or outside of this sanctuary can be made right with God by our achievements that is the curse of God that abides on every single man and woman that's the warning of our text what Paul does for us this morning as he makes two very contrasting elements clear. You are either of the curse of God, or you are either in the Christ who is from God. They will not live in harmony. You will not be of the Christ and of the curse. For this combination is itself a false gospel, a curse. The choice is ours to be a people of faith or to be a people of works. To be a people who live by the Gospel message which says, it's done. Your debt is paid in Jesus Christ. It's done, so believe it and receive it. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ, the One who has done what you cannot do in keeping the law. Or, you have a choice of Do. Do. Do all that you can to achieve the law, and maybe you'll get there, but you will not. Just like Israel could not, and just like those in the first century that were interacting with the Galatian believers could not, not one man or woman can achieve right standing with God by what they do. That is the song that every man-made religion sings, if only I do, I will become. Biblical Christianity and the message of our text today is very clear. Christ has already done it. So receive it and live it out. It's been done. Two very clear choices the Christ or the curse. So as we look at our text, my hope for us as we come to these first verses is that this would inspire our lives in two ways intentional worship here together as we gather together as a congregation, and then to view every aspect of our life with intentionality. Whether you're a a student, a high school student, a college student, all the way to a senior adult, that every day, every moment would be understood that my life is to be a sacrifice of worship, pleasing to my God who has done what I cannot do. My God who has come and taken the curse that rightfully should be upon me. That in this way, we're called to be storytellers. We're called to tell the story of the one who has done it. We're to be proclaimers of this good news. That's our responsibility. It's every one of our jobs. Every one of us. So that God may use this text. My prayer is that God may use this text in my life personally, in every one of our lives, to be people who are committed to seeing others come to know Jesus Christ as their King. That is our calling. For in eternity... One day we will be with God in glory. All those who know Him, all those who are redeemed will be with Him in glory. We will worship the Lord forever in our life and with our lips, but we will not evangelize. There will be no evangelization in heaven, but only here. So may God in His kindness use this text to impact our lives and relationships and calendaring for the rest of the week ahead. Let's notice the first of these two striking insights From Paul's words, we're going to notice first that those who trust in their achievements, those who trust in their achievements in order to be acceptable before God, they are cursed. They are cursed. Those who try to trust in their achievements, what we can do, our resumes, that person is cursed. don't even need to look at the resume. You know it's true for yourself, and we know it's true for other people no matter the front that we put up. Those who trust in their achievements in order to be acceptable before God are cursed. Why? Well, we come to verse 10 and we see first that the law of God, here it is, demands all people, all people, doesn't matter your background, all people, to keep what? All of its demands. There's no curve on the judgment of God. There's no curve. It doesn't take it easy on you. Because God is holy and good and just. There's no curve in the judgment by which we will stand before Him. in order to escape the curse. Verse 10 reads like this. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible, please do follow along. There's a pew Bible in front of you. Verse 10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Verse 9, the verse we were in last week, because 9 becomes before 10, getting better with my math. So, nine talks about there's people that are of the faith. You're to be of the faith. We talked about Abraham, all this promise last week. You're of the faith, and here it says that there's those who are of the law or those who rely on the, on the works of the law, as this says. So there's people who are of faith or there's people that are of the works of the law. Two very contrastive elements. But what you are of determines your standing. Let me give you an example. Let's imagine that Lake Nacogdoches froze over like a millimeter of ice because that's all that would possibly happen if it did freeze over for us. And you studied it and you were so confident that that ice would hold you up, that you could walk to the other side. And you were excited and you even wrote about it. You published some blogs about it. You were so pumped up. You were of the ice. You're on Team Ice. There's no doubt that if you stepped foot on that, it was going to carry you. You were of the ice. Well, what would happen if you did that in real life? You would very quickly be of the water, right? You would be through the ice and you would be of the water below because it could not, it is not sufficient to hold you. The law of God, those who are of the law, those who are of trying to be made right with God with something they do, are ultimately of the curse. They will not be of the redeemed. They are of the cursed. Not acceptable before God, even though they may try with all of their possible might. Jesus, when He comes on the scene in the flesh, the eternal Son, remember Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God, the Son comes and He takes on the fullness of a man, the God-man. Jesus comes on the scene and He says in Matthew 22, the first and greatest commandment is to love God first with all our heart, mind, and strength. The first and greatest commandment, to love God with all our heart, mind, and strength. So here's a test. How many of us, have kept that law perfectly for even a week of our life. To love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Not to mention the hundreds of national laws that God gave to Moses for Israel to keep if they chose to enter into the covenant. All of us, none of us can keep even the first and greatest commandment, let alone all the rest of the details of the law. We're all guilty. All who aim to be made right with God by the curse of the law will not do so. It's not the law's purpose, as we'll see shortly. Now in your Bible, you've probably noticed already, there's a footnote there. Maybe you have a little letter or a little number, depending on how your Bible chooses to put it out there, but it's quoting Deuteronomy 27:26. It's right there in our text, verse 10. So he says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and do them. It's interesting how what you emphasize in a sentence or a statement can totally change the meaning. I want you to imagine somebody that you love cooked a meal for you. A dear friend, somebody cooked a meal for you. The word that you emphasize changes everything. So, for example, if you say, this tastes good. Compared to, this tastes good. Good. two very totally different meanings isn't it what it appears that the Judaizers are doing the people that are coming to the Galatian Christians they're trying to persuade them to take on the law in addition to Jesus or to abandon Jesus and to take on the law altogether to come back into the, the, the bondage of the law of Moses As they're coming in and they're emphasizing the last few words of this and do them and do them. You can imagine how persuasive this would be. Imagine they came in with their, the Torah and they, and they come in and they say, Listen, you're, you're Christians. Don't you want to be acceptable before God? Don't you want to be blessed before God? What would your answer be? Let's, let's pretend like you're Christians and we'll go through this. This is a joke, this is a joke, <laughs> joke. <laughs> it's a terrible choice. Usually I have a filter that catches most of these thoughts that come to my head. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Forgive me. Okay, so imagine this. Imagine somebody comes in and says, don't you as a Christian want to be acceptable before God? And you would say, yes. Well, listen, haven't you read the Torah? Haven't you read Deuteronomy? Don't you know that Deuteronomy says that cursed, cursed is the one that does not keep the law and do them. Are you keeping the law of Moses? To which you would respond, what? No. Well, then you're cursed. So begin to keep the law with us. Give up Jesus and begin to keep the law with us. You see how persuasive that would be. But Paul takes that same text and he doesn't emphasize the and keep them part, and do them part. He seems to emphasize the earlier parts. Cursed be everyone." And who would be everyone? Jew and Gentile. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by what? All things written in the book. So he's warning the Christians, if you think you're going to be made acceptable before God, you had better be ready to keep all the law, and you will not. And they do not. You will be cursed. The warning is clear. It moves us secondly into this idea that those who trust in their achievements in order to be acceptable before God are cursed. Secondly, because the law of God, it produces a diagnosis rather than a cure for the curse. The law of God is given to produce a diagnosis, not a, a cure. Verse 11 and 12, Paul says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Medical doctors have an unbelievably difficult job. How hard that must be on a daily basis for many of them. At any time, that after doing tests, they may have to sit across from someone face to face and share with them a terminal diagnosis. Crushing news. How unbelievably difficult that has to be. I want you to imagine a situation in which the doctor is sharing the diagnosis with the patient. Terminal news. and Upon hearing it, the patient says, thank goodness, wow, that's great. What would the doctor think? Either you didn't hear me, or you've already lost your mind, right? You'd be totally confused. The diagnosis doesn't make you well. The diagnosis reveals the reality of your situation. And that's what the law of God does for us, the commandments of God. It reveals for us that the reality of our situation is that we are all hopeless by our achievements. We're cursed. What those that rejected Jesus are doing is they're relying on the law to make themselves right with God. They're trusting in a diagnosis rather than the cure who is Christ. What a dangerous mistake that is and can be. Even in a broader sense, those of us, think of your conscience. God has written the law upon our hearts. You know this is true. So that even if somebody doesn't see you do wrong, you know it, don't you? Think back to when you were a teenager, and think about that. Your parents never found out about so-and-so. One thing that's interesting in my perspective is when I'm able to do funerals, as the family gets together, especially if it's a matriarch or patriarch, the kids gather together, and I'm not sure I've ever done one, in which the kids haven't begun to share stories in which they did wrong stuff that their parents never caught them in. they just like cleansing their conscience, <laughs> From the parent that's in the grave that can't discipline them, even though this person may be in their 60s at this point. our Conscience bears witness against us that you are under a curse. You and I do not measure up. We're broken. We know it, but that doesn't stop part of us from ignoring the first part of verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. So we think, but what if I try harder than they did? No one. And then we think, what if we partner together for accountability and we all try to do it together? No one. And then we think, well, what if I do it better than they do it? No one. We're incapable of being made right with God by the diagnosis of God that is given to us through the law. What Paul does here in the first two verses, we're going to look at what he quotes here for us. He quotes Habakkuk 2.4 in Leviticus 18.5. It's going to be paired with Deuteronomy 21, 23. Again, don't worry about writing these references down because they're going to be there in your Bible as well. they will be in your footnotes. I'm almost certain of it. But what he's doing with the argument is notice this. Catch this. He's going to take them on like a ski slalom back and forth. He's going to zigzag, zig his argument. He's going to begin in faith, and then he's going to go to the works of the law, and then he's going to go back to faith. So he's going to go to righteousness, to condemnation, to righteousness, He's going to go from it's done in Christ to do it, that's what the law makes you do, to it's done in Christ again. Back and forth, this combination, boom, 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 sets him up, knocks him down. That's what he's doing with these Old Testament texts. With the goal of helping us to see the reality of suffering through hardship, the reality of remembering the diagnoses of the law, would cause us to realize how much sweeter the goodness of the gospel is and to abide greater in Christ. Is this true in your life? Have you experienced a hardship, a scare, that made you all of a sudden appreciate life even more? That's what Paul does with this argument. So look what he does real quickly. He goes from faith to law back to faith. Righteousness to curse to righteousness. The Christ, the curse, the Christ. So he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And then he goes to the curse. The curse. He quotes part of Leviticus 18.5, but the law is not of faith. So he's making this dividing line very clear. Faith done righteousness. Works do curse. But the law is not of faith. The one who does them shall live By them, they will be entrapped. And this sets it all up for the very second primary insight from this text as we go into verse 13. It's that those who trust in Christ's achievements, those who trust in Christ's achievements, are redeemed and made acceptable before God. Those who trust in Christ's achievements are redeemed and made acceptable before God. Those who trust in their own achievements will be cursed and are cursed. Those who trust in Christ's achievements will be redeemed. 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 I think of like a magazine. You get these worthless little coupons. A coupon is worthless. Do you know that? It's not worth something. Right? You can't pay your electric bill with a $10 haircut coupon, it's worthless there. But you can take it to the place that will validate it and it redeems it and gives it value. Redemption is giving that which is valueless and giving it value. You come to Christ, broken one. You have value. Such great value that the Father would send His Son to take on the curse on your behalf. Look at this. Two observations on this point. Two reasons for this. First, in verse 13, Christ's work on the cross, it personally paid for the curse of the redeemed. You have hope this morning. We have true hope. Because Christ's work on the cross personally paid for the curse of the redeemed. Look at verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by what? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He quotes Deuteronomy 21, 22-23. He brings them back to faith. Faith works faith. This text is unbelievable. So, here we go. I'm going to do my best to make sure we all catch this argument. This is the type of argument that will give you goosebumps of the power of the Word of God. That's not my goal. My goal is not to give you goosebumps. If I did that, I would just turn the AC way down always before you came in here. That was my goal. It's not my goal. But what I'm saying is the power of this text and what Paul does with this verse in verse 13 and 14, it's unbelievable. And it shows you that this is worth building your life upon. It's worth giving over what you think gives you value and worth in your achievements and it offers it over to Christ and says, not me, but you, Christ. Look at verse 13. He quotes this text of Deuteronomy 21. It says, cursed is everything who is hanged on a tree. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And here's what would have happened. The Jewish people who denied Jesus Christ Their primary argument would be this verse, without question. And here's how it would go. I'll be the person making the argument. You be the Christian. Here it is. Do you believe Jesus is God? Yes. So you believe Jesus is the Messiah, the sent one of God. Is that true? So you believe Jesus is sinless, right? And so, because Jesus, with the sinless life, you can be forgiven. Do you believe that? Have you read Deuteronomy before? Okay, that's good. (laughs) Well, you may have missed the part that says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. How did your Jesus die again? He was hanged on a tree, he was crucified. So tell me, Christian, how can you have a sinless Savior if it clearly says in the Scriptures and the Torah, he is cursed by God? You've not trusted in a sinless Savior. You've trusted in a cursed man of God. So come back to the law. You found a false Messiah. Come back to the law. Do you see the argumentation? Do you see how persuasive that could be? Paul takes that argument and he says, exactly. Exactly. Jesus is cursed on the cross because we are cursed. He's the sinless one who became cursed for us. The moment that you're pointing to, my, my, my Judaizing friend, is the moment that the king took the curse for me. And I've received his forgiveness that's put on me. His sinlessness is now on me and my curse, as you looked to the Christ who was on the cross, was on him. In Colossians 2, 14, nails this home. Colossians 2.14 says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside. This God set aside doing what? Nailing it to the cross. Christ did become cursed for us. That's the moment of our ultimate salvation as a body of Christ. You were purchased, Christian, at the cross. We were purchased at the cross. Every one of us. Every sin of the redeemed Every sin you've never told anyone about was paid for when Christ became cursed for us. That's the great news. Paul takes the argument that would have been used to try to to lead away Christians back under the law. He takes the same argument and he says, exactly! We don't run from it. We build our life upon it. Jesus is the cursed one of God. We're going to take time to read it, but in Luke... In Luke chapter 23 Luke knows the scriptures. And this little little book, this little book, this little gospel account. He quotes the Old Testament 58 times. And in this account, the Christians don't shy away from the fact that they were hung on a cross. He says exactly those words. The criminal and the Christ were hung on the cross. The criminals were guilty. Christ was not. But Christ became the cursed for all who will trust in Christ. If you but trust in Christ, the one who has made it done, you have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He is your only hope. He is our, as we sing so often, our living hope. So how does this apply to our life? The Christian faith cannot simply stop at saying, Thank you, God, that I'm redeemed. Thank you, God, that I'm forgiven. A thank you must lead to an action of gratitude. And that's what happens in verse 14. Look at verse 14. It leads to our second application of this. It says, The redeemed, my application summary, I should say, is the redeemed receive the same promised spirit through faith alone, so live like it. The redeemed receive the same promised spirit through faith alone, so live like it. Look what he says in verse 14 as he builds upon it. So that, so that, remember anytime we see a so that or a therefore as good interpreters, what should it make us do? Stop and say, okay, here's what I do with what I just learned. That's what he's doing for the church. So, so that, so you've been redeemed, so that, what do I do with that? Verse 14, what do I do with the fact that Christ became a curse for me? Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Remember, there's Jews and Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you are a Gentile. So that, final application, we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Biblical Christianity says it's done for you. You've been adopted. You've been saved. From the just wrath of God, from the curse of God, So live like it. All the religions of man say do, so maybe you'll get here. Some idea of paradise. Biblical Christianity says Christ is paradise. To get here, believe him. Do you remember the promise that God made to Abraham? Genesis 15. Abraham did what? And he was counted as righteousness. Abraham believed and was counted as righteousness. So, dear Gentile, dear believer, listen, all of you, Jew and Gentile alike, you received the promise of Abraham. Your blessings are the promise of Abraham by what? Believing. And this is a text of unity. The application is that the church ought to look united for these reasons. Look Look at this. Look why he says they should be united. You have the same promised Christ. You've received the same promised Holy Spirit and you've received it the same way, not by your resume, but by faith, through faith, it says. And now you have the same purpose, and that is to be a people sold out to making disciples of Jesus Christ. We do have time, Ephesians chapter 4, flip over to Ephesians 4 in your Bibles. Ephesians 4, this is, this is good, this is good. Ephesians 4. I'm excited because I didn't leave enough time to get to this in the first 915 service. Super excited. This is you ready for this? This is pretty cool. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 4. Don't worry. I hear you flipping still. I'll give you time to get over there. Ephesians 4. Paul does, and in, in to the church in Ephesus, what he does to the church in Galatia right here throughout Galatia. It gives them this idea that because you've been redeemed, you're to live in unity and harmony and love and the purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ. You're not to be united for unity's sake. You're to be united because you're truly one body. I don't know about you, I grew up with siblings. And when we were ornery, when we were doing bad stuff, one of the punishments a lot of times would be, if we weren't being good to each other, uh, my dad would make us hold each other's hands. And that was the worst. That was worse than a spanking, to be honest. It was gross. It gives me taste in my mouth still for some reason. Ugh, I don't want to hold your hand angry at you. The picture was you're two different people, so get along. And that's what the world says. World says, look, you're all different, but maybe we can just hold hands and get along. What the church is though, what this church is, is that we're one body. You are a bunch of different people, but now you're one body through Jesus Christ. So live like it, because it's been done. Look at this, Ephesians 4, verse 1. We're just going to read through about verse 6. See if you can notice the same threads that we had back in verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, I'm reading back in Galatians three fourteen, so it's fresh in your mind. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit. We, all of us together, might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, "I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, remember he's in chains at this point, I urge you, church, to walk, to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called." So one calling, one calling. Verse 2. With how? So how do I live my life? How do I walk? With all humility, with gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another. What's that assumed by bearing one another with wearing it? It means you're kind of, hmm, I'm not sure if I like what they do all the time. Bearing with one another. Love covers over a multitude of wrongs. Look what he says in verse 3 eager to maintain the what? The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Why? Verse 4 there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The cry of unity, our only rational response as believers, is to congregate together with other believers in Jesus Christ, to make disciples together, to pour our lives out together for the purpose of making Jesus Christ known here and to the nations That's our calling. And as we do so, as we each pour out our time, our talents, and our treasures for the kingdom of God, it will cause us to walk in lockstep, not according to the world, but as one body with one head. Jesus Christ, our one great shepherd. This stuff is foreign to this world. Jesus said, they will know you by how you love one another. When we are focused on the purpose of being and making disciples of Jesus Christ, guess what will happen? We will love one another by how we are sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's worthy of your life. It's worthy of your life. All of us are called to share the gospel with others. Period. All of us. You've heard the saying: "Share the gospel always. With if necessary, use words." Have you heard that saying? Share the gospel always if necessary, use words. I don't like it. That's not good. If that's like artwork in your house, don't take it personal, but totally take it down, get rid of it. Right? That doesn't make any sense. That's like if you're thirsty, drink water if necessary. It's like, what? Right? In order to, the gospel is good news that has to be shared. Every one of us, our calling is to be speaking about the gospel. Yes, we're to live it. Yes, we're to be gentle and wise in how we interact with others. We're not to be the stumbling block the gospel is. But the gospel is only a stumbling block if it's spoken and stood on. We're all called to share the gospel. But none of us can persuade somebody to come to faith in Christ. We're all called to spend time with others, with unbelievers to befriend them, to love them, to care for them, but none of us doing so will cause them to bring to a point of repentance and faith in Jesus. This will only be done by the goodness of Christ who can change hearts. He knows them deeper than you do. He loves your family deeper than you do. He loves you deeper than you do. He knows you. He knows the deepest depths of your sin and brokenness. And he is our only hope. So practical application of this is to develop in our lives in addition to earthly prayer lists, a kingdom prayer list, to be faithful, asking that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, would go before us, would go with us, and would follow up after us. That we would sow seeds like a passionate blind farmer throwing them everywhere with seeds abundance. That the Spirit of God would use it to change hearts and deep roots. Our King is able. and The Gospel is worthy of our lives. Let us ever be known as a people who speak forth the good news of the cure, not the curse. The Christ, not the curse. It's worth our life, amen? It's worth our life. Next steps. What do we do with this? Next steps. Here's a question. In what ways will I be compelled to a life of worship and evangelism? I said at the very beginning, in what ways will I be compelled to this type of life this week with the realization that Christ's work on the cross personally paid for my sin? Meaning, in short, how should an it's done mindset, and it's done identity, impact how we actually live our life this week even more so? How should it impact more so how I handle my wife, how I speak to my children, how we interact with other people on a daily basis. How should it impact how I handle my calendar? To know that it's done. In a second, we're going to sing a song that I absolutely love, His mercy is more. His mercy is more. Do you realize that if you and I were 10,000 times more broken, if you and I were 10,000 times more sinful than we are today, His mercy would still be more. There's only one that can redeem us from the curse. It's very possible you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your King. Surrender to him, come to him. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Isn't that good? that good. Let's stand. Let's sing